What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of the Tree of Life. There are two ways through life. The way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. We're be grown before that tree is tall. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Tree of Life, and the story is as follows. In this highly philosophical film by acclaimed director Terrence Malick, young Jack is one of three brothers growing up as part of the O'Brien family in small-town Texas. Jack has a contentious relationship with his father, but gets along well with his beautiful mother. As an adult, Jack struggles with his past and tries to make sense of his childhood, while also grappling with bigger existential issues. The film is starring Brad Pitt, Jessica Chastain, Sean Penn, Hunter McCracken, Ty Sheridan, and Laramie Epler. It is written and directed by Terrence Malick, and here to join me today for this 2011 throwback podcast review, I have Brendan Hodges. Hey there, very excited to see whether we are all selecting the path that is the way of nature or the way of grace. (laughs) We also have Danilo Castro. Hey everybody. And also Dan Baer. Mother, father, (laughs) always you wrestle and sad me. (laughs) Always you wheel. Okay, I cannot do this entire podcast and whisper Terrence Malick speak. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. <laughs> I, I, I would love to make the attempt, but I can't. It's just not in my wheelhouse. It's never going to no. happen. Sorry. Can't do it. But this movie does ask a lot of really big questions. It's probably the most ambitious film of Terrence Malick's career to date. Um, it came after he did the New World a few years prior. It made its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival, winning the Palme d'Or in 2011, which is part of the reason why we are reviewing it now, right before this year's Cannes Film Festival. And also, it was Best Picture nominee, so it fits in very nicely here with our 2011 retrospective. Uh, but Terrence Malick, in general, a very polarizing figure within the uh, film community. His style is very much his own, and he's not necessarily for everyone, but You can't deny his contributions to the cinematic medium over the years and how he has carved out his own place for himself uh, within its history. So looking at the scale of the Tree of Life and how it attempts to not only tell a story about the meaning of life itself from its beginning uh, all the way up until the 1960s here and then maybe even beyond into the uh, afterlife, the movie's also the most personal film of Terrence Malick's uh, to date, drawing on elements of his childhood and growing up uh, in the 1950s in Texas. So looking back on it today, I'm sure that this is a film that all of us have had a chance to revisit over the years. What do we think about the tree of life in 2023? Danilo Castro, I will start with you first. So 
I love Terrence Malick's the first two decades of Terrence Malick's career. Of course, that's only three movies, but they're all spectacular. I think Badlands is an all timer, especially uh, when it comes to debuts. And uh, I hit a bit of a brick wall with Knight of Cups, which comes on the other side of this film. I think uh, for me, it's been it's been kind of rough going since that film. This movie is like a great middle ground between between sort of the, the Malik that he currently is and and the one he was prior. I think it's a great marriage, as you said in the introduction, Matt, of elements of his childhood, of sort of the the, the fascinations he has, but then expanding them, um, applying more of sort of an ambitious framework to them. And uh, yeah, this this movie, it takes a little bit to get used to its language and its rhythm, but once you're in, it is it is, you know, it's waves washing over you. I think it's it's pretty singular in that way. Um, I don't think everything works. There's one aspect in particular that I've always kind of had a, uh, an issue an issue with, which we'll get into a little bit, uh, I'm sure, further into the pod. But yeah, this movie's an experience. This movie is an achievement. Um, and this is, it's, it's pretty spectacular. I think this is pretty essential viewing for anyone who who considers themselves even casually into uh terrence malick okay well said opening thoughts here brendan hodges how about you what did you think of the tree of life well at release i very much butted up against it it was a struggle for me back when i saw it in 2011 and it's one of those unique situations and i think many film people have this experience where Initially, a movie leaves them cold or, in my case, with The Tree of Life, a little puzzled and confused. And over time, you revisit that work of art. You revisit that movie and suddenly you find yourself opening up new sides of who you are to this film and it connects with you in a different way. And in my case, this was a film that is probably one of the few movies in my life where I went from not really connecting with it at release to now becoming one of my favorite movies. And certainly one of what I think are the best movies made in the last several decades. I think the movie ultimately is a, it's a prayer, right? It's a unique achievement in that it has a really intimate focus in where it takes place in you know, the Eisenhower era of America in sort of the suburban, what should be anyway, suburban bliss. Um, But it's kind of counteracted, obviously, by this cosmic operatic scale to it that it's basically like, what if, you know, a big chunk of 2001, A Space Odyssey, took place in Midtown America? Um, It's a movie that is unique for me in the sense where I learned more about myself as a person. Um, I learned more about my own sense of spirituality as that has evolved over the last 10, 15 years. It's a movie that had me learn more about my parents and understanding, especially my dad from a new lens, um, but also my late mom. Um, So it's a weird case where it just became this really personal movie for me. And while speaking about it later in the podcast, it's probably just going to be really personal for me to do that. Uh, I also want to mention that this was a movie that I screened for my girlfriend 
um, in the week after her dad passed away very suddenly. For some reason, I just thought that would be what her soul, so to speak, needed. And it was. And now in our relationship, even this movie has become this weird quasi-religious experience we return to sometimes when we want to think about the world and where we come from in that way. And I, I think that this is going to be a very interesting podcast, and I'm excited to hear what the rest of you have to say, because it's very difficult to really speak about this movie without sharing your own spiritual life, uh, their lack of or not, or your own family life, or the way you see the universe, whether this movie clicks with you or not, it gets you thinking about those things. Um, those are basically my opening thoughts, but I think it's a masterpiece, um, and I'm very excited to hear what we all have to say about it. Okay. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm very excited to uh, hear everyone's perspectives on it, too. Dan Baer, what did you think? So before I get into that, I need to address uh, my history with this movie, which is that when I first saw it, which was in the full-on, like, post-con, the theater having the little sign on the window saying, we will not refund tickets to this if you leave after the first five minutes or whatever it was. <laughs> like, it was fully that. And I went with my partner at the time, and I lost movie-picking privileges for two months as a result uh, because he so hated it. I think that losing movie picking privileges was worth it because I think this is a masterpiece. It has become over the years, like one of those movies that just sort of like completely changed my view of what, cinema is and could be and what I like in cinema. It had this weird effect on me where I could see how from a different angle, another version of myself would hate this movie with the pretentious voiceovers and whispers and pleading with God and classical music illusions and whatnot. And yet I find so much beauty in this as a collection of images and sounds together that 
I get swept up in it every time I watch it, even though I think that structurally the it does things that throw the balance a bit off, but it's one of my like core movies. I freaking love it. <laughs> okay, so for me, The Tree of Life is a movie that I remember going to the theater and seeing it with my sister in 2011. And I remember the theater was not full. There was not many people there. And I also remember that when it was over, we were the only two people that seemed to like it. Everybody else was pretty restless throughout. I was balled over by this movie. I was in awe of it. I actually think that the first 30 minutes of this movie pretty much sets up the Tree of Life to almost be the greatest film of all time. Unfortunately, it doesn't maintain that consistency throughout, but the ambition, the scope, the metaphysical meaning that one can get from watching this movie and the strong emotional connections that it seems to formulate with so many people, not everyone, Remember, it is a very polarizing film, but I think that connection is so strong that it really is a magical film in that it represents what cinema can possibly be. It's a really, really awe-inspiring film visually, emotionally, spiritually, and it's also a bit of a mess. (laughs) I'll be first to admit, I do not like the editing style of this movie. And to Danilo's point earlier, this film really did mark a transitional moment in Terrence Malick's career where it really did feel like it was caught in between the Malick of old and the Malick of new. So at the time of its release, it was almost considered revolutionary in the way that it was edited, the way it was shot, the way its story was presented in this fragmented, non-linear manner uh, where also it didn't have a conventional narrative structure for its screenplay, for its production, for its auditioning process, for its actors. Nothing about this was what you would typically see in a film, and the final film reflected that as well. Now, I remember also, too, in 2011, it couldn't really live up to the hype. There was so much hype behind this movie before its release. Um, But in the years since then, I find myself constantly revisiting it and once again, just being completely in awe of it. I think it's absolutely mesmerizing and a magnificent piece of work. And it's so funny how after this one, his following movies to the Wonder, Night of Cups, Song to Song, I progressively hated each one more and more (laughs) as they went until finally A Hidden Life a few years ago which did have more of a conventional narrative structure and only suffered from being an hour too long. <laughs> Come on, Terry, you're almost there. You can almost make a perfect film. Uh, <laughs> I, I just find that he is uh, fixated on certain elements that don't always work for me, but I respect and I admire that that's what makes his films wholly unique. Um, so with that said, in discussing The Tree of Life here, I do want to first start off by talking about an aspect that I'm sure we all have at one point or another thrown a positive adjective towards, and that is Emmanuel Lubezki's cinematography. So 
How do you all feel about it? How did you feel about it then? How do you feel about it now? Especially considering, too, that the Emmanuel Lubezki style of cinematography that we've seen in The Tree of Life uh, with Terrence Malick is something that has carried over into other films that Lubezki has shot in more recent years. I'm going to say what I said to you via text, Matt, while I was in in the midst of literally crying because of how fucking beautiful this movie is. This is the most stupidly beautiful film ever shot. It's unbelievable. Every, <laughs> like, every time that the movie threatens to get a little too slow or to just lose me to some discursion that I'm not interested in, he just pulls out yet another perfectly gorgeous shot out of his ass and I'm just there like in awe of cinema like this I worship at the altar of Emmanuel Lebesky's work in this movie that is like god tier work to me Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our review of Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full, almost two and a half hour long review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 